Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're here, if you're joining us online, that is great. Let me add just to Daniel's um, comment on the Advent devotionals. Um, there's a few left out there. We will order more. Uh, we may well run out. And there were some people that were wrestling over them in the first service, and I had to get in and pull them apart. So I don't want you wrestling over the Advent devotionals. That would just seem kind of, yeah, it wouldn't. It'd be incongruent to be wrestling over Advent devotionals. So, yeah, if we run out, we will order them. We will have them. I'm glad people have jumped on that and want to. Um, yeah, don't miss the season of Christmas, and I'm going to be preaching from those uh, series of messages starting two weeks from this Sunday, so I want to encourage you that. Before, though, we get to Advent, I do want to talk about Thanksgiving. We have a Thanksgiving wall over there. We're encouraging you to write down that for which you're thankful. Uh, hope you'll get to the wall, but if you don't, I want you to ask you to consider for this season being intentional about writing down or noting that for which you're thankful. So if you get our uh, church newsletter, you'll see this in there. But this is something I read ago that was fascinating years ago. To me, it was fascinating. There was a study of silver medalists and bronze medalists in the Olympics. Now, the silver medalists get their medal because they're second place. The bronze medalists get because they're third. Who was happier? Decidedly, it was the bronze medalist. Well, why? Because the silver medalists were frustrated with it, what they didn't have. They were this close. They were hundreds of a second away from being a gold medal. So they're frustrated that they missed out. The bronze medalists, on the other hand, were hundreds of seconds away from not being getting a medal at all, from not being on the podium. The only medal, the top three, and they only give a, a ceremony for the top three. They were so thankful that they had a medal. Isn't it interesting that the lower place was happier than the higher place? And I, I think that's a kind of a metaphor for our culture. We are the wealthiest culture in the history of humankind. And yet we're the most frustrated because we live in a market economy that tells you you don't have it. And if you don't have this phone and you don't have this, 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 then you are missing out and you are not, you know, in this brand of clothing. And I know I... With the clothes I wear, I put you guys under the pile. But my wife picks them out, so you can talk to her. But you know, we are just focused on what we don't have. And we have got so much. I, I think we're silver medalists. I hope we'll become bronze medalists this, this Thanksgiving season. Just so thankful for what we have. So would you take time? If you get, I'd love to see what you write in the wall. If you're not able to do that, be intentional, though, about marking down that for which you're thankful. So years ago, before as a pastor, I worked with a ministry called Campus Crusade. I had a friend, he was a roommate, and we were together, and he abruptly left Campus Crusade to join the Marine Corps. His daddy had been a Marine, his grandpa had been a Marine, he always wanted to be a Marine, so he went. And, and he was 27 or 8, so he was very aware of what he was doing. And he said, when I raised my right hand, I mean, we talked about our military veterans. So those of you who have been in the service, you know about this. When I raise my right hand, I'm giving up autonomy. Somebody's going to be telling me what to do, when to get up, how far to run, what to know, uh, when you can eat, when you've got to quit eating, when you, and then you, you're waking up and you're going to run some more and you're going to do this. And, uh, they're going to take my life. They're going to turn it upside down. Well, I want to suggest to you that when we come in, we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount, stepping into Jesus' kingdom, he does that with our priorities. And I want us to think about that today. So if you've got a Bible, 
if you'd open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go through uh, verses 19 through 24. Putting this question before us, how will submitting to Christ reorder our life? How will submitting to Christ reorder our life? If you haven't been with us, we're in the midst of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gathers some people. Matthew records it for us, starting in Matthew 5, and he begins to teach about his kingdom. We understand his kingdom is his rule. We have an in-part experience of Jesus' kingdom. There are people who voluntarily submit to him. You are Lord, I'm going to follow you. Now, there's going to be a day, Daniel talked about it, the second coming of Jesus where he will set up his kingdom and there ain't going to be no voluntary about it. He's going to rule the earth and he's going to put down rebellion. But for now, we're now we're in, in between and Jesus says, I, I want to talk about my kingdom here on earth. And so he did and he, and he listed the characteristics or attributes of those who are approved. We call them the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, merciful, hunger for righteousness. He listed about eight or nine of those at the beginning of Matthew 5. And then he said, now if you take on these values, you're going to be out of step. Out of step with the world and they'll persecute you. Because you're different, you've got different values, they won't like that. Well, Man, if they're going to persecute us, why not beam us out? Kind of like Star Trek. And Jesus says, here's the deal. You're the salt of the earth. Church, individually and collectively, you're the salt of the earth. And you need to understand, salt in Jesus' day was a preservative. You rubbed it into the meat, and it slowed down decay. Church, you're to slow down decay. Then he said, uh, you are the light of the world. And in the Bible, darkness is a metaphor for evil and destruction and death. And, and you turn on the light, and the darkness is gone. He said, church, you are the light of the world. So that's why he's not pulling us out. We have a purpose to serve. Well, Jesus, man, you're speaking without authority. Are, are you doing away with the Old Testament? Jesus said, absolutely not. I haven't come to do away with the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. In fact, the whole Old Testament points to me. That's pretty heady stuff. You're speaking with a lot of authority there. And Jesus said, yeah, I do. I, I'm, uh, I have <laughs> uh, full authority, actually. And he did that. He took six teachings, and he either deepened them or corrected them. So the first one was he took the um, commandment, I, thou shalt not murder. And most of us think, well, I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. I'm good. She said, well, let, hold on. If you've been angry with your brother, you're guilty because you, it is as if you wish they weren't there. You're guilty of what? Of murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Seventh commandment. Well, I'm good. I haven't been with another woman. Well, fantastic. But, but if you've longed for someone in your heart, you're, you're guilty because I see that as committing the act of adultery. And then along that line, he said, you know, you guys have gotten pretty carefree about a divorce. I don't like my wife. Here's a paper and off I go. And that woman is left. No, 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 stop. Yeah, I do allow for divorce, but uh, I'm telling you, I value marriage, and I don't want you just willy-nilly walking out of it. Then he spoke, I think on this specifically, to the Pharisees. They had taken the Old Testament, and they had decided, we're going to add to that 640 precepts, and, and they had decided, you know what, when it comes to giving my word, if I swear by this, like I'm, like I'm 60% obligated to you. But then if I swear by that, that's 80%. I have a whole code that I can make you think I'm giving you my word. In reality, I'm not. And Jesus said, stop with the tomfoolery. Stop with the foolishness. If you're going to do it, say yes. Let your yes be yes. and No, I'm not doing it. Just tell me no. Instead of playing these games. Then Jesus went back to the Old Testament. He went to the teachings of Moses. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, I'm doing away with that. I reach out and slap you on the cheek. You know, your, your thing is I'm at least slapping you back. I may 
Jesus said, no, 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 it's a, it's a new deal. You, you turn the other cheek. You're giving up the right to equal retribution in my kingdom. And finally, he said, you know, the teaching of the day has been uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemy, and we aren't quite sure where that got in there. Probably had to do with the Rome occupying, and that's wrong, and it's okay to hate them. Jesus says, never okay, never okay to hate a person. You love your enemies, and you pray for those who persecute you. Man. That's pretty high standard here. Yeah, it is. It's a real high standard. And Jesus said, just in case you miss the high standard, here's the deal. Uh, you, want, you want a standard? I want you to be perfect as my heavenly Father's perfect. Oh. Oh. And that brings us back to the first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I can't pull off this Christian life on my own. No, you can't. You really can't. You need Jesus to empower you, forgive your sins, and empower you. Well, throwing that standard out there, it'd be easy to think, well, you know, um, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try and show some people just how righteous I am and I'm doing God. But did you notice? So Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 1, be careful about praying your righteousness before people. Because if you do that, you've received your reward in full. And there's no reward in eternity. Jesus speaks of rewards. It's beyond this message to talk about. But Jesus said, not only that, do you not have any eternal warm, but, you, but you're a hypocrite because you're doing this. I want you to think I'm really holy because of the way I give, the way I pray, and the way I fast. He covered those three topics. In reality, I don't care that much about God. I'm just trying to impress you with how much I'm caring about God. So Jesus said, be careful about parading your righteousness to be seen by people. And he's really coming after our heart. What do you value? And the heart is where we live life. It's where we make our decisions. And it's, the Bible is really comes after that. I'm not interested in outward conformity. I'm interested in your heart. A right heart then will, over the long term, produce right behavior. And Jesus is going to come after that heart here in our passage. So here's what he said. Uh, let me start in verse 19. Chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So this world has a whole bunch to offer us. Well, well why would I do that? Where moth and rust destroy. Moth, uh, people, again, uh, built their worth in, in their clothes. And I guess that not that much changes after 2,000 years, does it? You get the right brand, you get the right thing, look at me. The trouble is moths can eat those things and you, you invest your resources in them and they're, and they're gone. And, and then he talked about rust. You know, you, you get precious metals, things like that, or value rust gets them and they're, they're corroded away. And if moth and rust don't get them, thieves will, they, they, can, they can break in and they can steal. It was an agricultural uh, community. They fill their grain bins. Jesus said, be careful. You know, that, that stuff can rot. That can be eaten by mice. And, and so be careful about laying up treasures on earth. So then, then what do we do but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Well, Andy, well, let's talk about this. I mean, I, I don't, we, we've got moths. I mean, we've got, we got pesticides. We can get rid of moths and we've got anti-rust stuff and we've got alarm systems. We don't have to worry about thieves. So, so how does this apply? Well, you and I may not be building in our clothes and our, our metals, precious metals and our stuff, but, but you know, we can build it in our... Um, like our 401k or our savings account. And, and we're, I mean, we're saving and we're building that because that's given us, I feel good about our security. And then the market, there's a market correction and like that, 50% of our value is gone. Or we're working, 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 and then there, there's a cutback and we don't have a job and, and we, we're, we're out. Or, or, you know, it's, it's about being popular and, 
and, and, and we're really popular and we're doing, and we're probably compromising some things to be popular, but then there comes along somebody who's smarter or prettier or funnier and then, uh, then we've lost our popularity. I swam in high school and I was quite average, but there was a guy a year ahead of me. Uh, he won state when he was a junior. He set the state record and, and he went out to get a scholarship at the University of Illinois and then after his freshman year or after his first semester, he quit. And I, I had moved away, but I came back and I saw him after his freshman year, the summer after his freshman year, he told me he quit. I said, how could, you, how could you do that? Like, dude, no one would scholarship me anything. How can you just walk away? He said, Andy, you don't understand. When you go Division One, everybody's one state. Everybody was a high school All-American. Illinois was the back half of the Big Ten in swimming. They weren't that good. And he just said, I could see it. I just wasn't. And I always wanted to work in my daddy's construction business. So I, I'm done. I had a great ride. But... I was a stud in high school, but I just stepped up a level, and you go Division I, it's, it's a different gig. You know, some of the most insecure people I know are people who are really attractive. They're really pretty, they're really handsome, and, and they, they build their worth in that, and the trouble is age takes that away from you, and they, and they, and they feel it slipping away, and Jesus is saying whatever it is that we're building our worth in on, on heaven, don't. You want to build heavenly treasures. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want us to look one more time at, at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. So heart is, again, the Bible is that's where we live. That's our values. Our decisions come out of our heart. And, and Jesus is saying, where you put your treasure, the thing you, you, you want, that affects your heart and you make decisions, decisions in accordance with that. So Jesus said, you've only got so much time, so much of you to invest. Don't invest in earthly treasures because they can be taken from you. Invest in heavenly treasures. Oh, all right, Andy, define for me. What does a heavenly treasure look like? Well, the first I would, thing I would say is Christ-like character. Let me let you look at a verse from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Here we go. Through the Spirit, this is the product. Think of a fruit tree. An apple produces apples. This is what the Holy Spirit, when He has control, when He empowers your life, this is what we get. Love, joy, peace. Now there's a bunch of attributes there. Let me stop there. How many of us would like to say, I'm characterized by love, joy, peace? How much would we pay for that? How much would we give for that? We're only on the first three. Patience, how are we doing there? Um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such thing there is no law. This is the character of Christ. That is a heavenly treasure. That will serve you from now into eternity. Jesus is saying invest yourself in that kind of treasure. Heavenly treasure. When I was in college, somebody said, Andy, what lasts forever? Well, God lasts forever. His word lasts forever in people and their souls last forever. So invest in those things. In particular, I want to talk to you about investing in people, caring in people. Would we be people who take an interest in another by asking questions? If I could impart one skill, just get good at asking questions of others. You know what people like to talk about themselves or their kids or their grandkids? So get good at just asking people, where are you from? What do you do? Are you married? you have kids? Oh, how old are they? you got grandkids? Man, people love that. Sophomore year, I was a chemical engineering major, 
supply and demand. These oil companies would hire you for the summer. They'd pay you this stupid, ridiculous high wage. Uh, they're trying to recruit you. So I was in a gas plant for my first six weeks out in Snyder, Texas. And I'm working with these men who are anywhere from 20 to 40 years older than me. They understand the gig. This is a recruiting. Be nice to the college boy, even though this college boy couldn't fix a thing, couldn't do a thing, because they could go back to their air-conditioned university and two years later be the plant manager. So these guys accepted me, but you could tell it's kind of like, punk kid, you're kind of a pain in the butt, but we got to, you know, you're getting the degree, so. And I, I sense this, and so I'm sitting at lunch with these guys, three of them. I think they're early 60s, and I just... Ask how long have you lived here? I've lived here my whole life. Do you have kids? Yeah, and they're married. And, and then I ask this question. Do you have grandkids? Ooh. Remember, this is pre-phone. Out comes the wallet. And this is Katie, and she's 14, and she's into FFA, and away we go. Because I wasn't trying to win. I didn't know. I was just a stumbling 19-year-old kid. But I asked questions about them, and it changed their attitude towards me. Could we be good? Just because we're interested in people, because they're created by God, they're eternal, they're made in the image of God, could we be good at just asking questions? And, and what I found is eventually people come back and they, well, what's your story? What are you about? And in a non-threatening way, I'm able to share my story with Jesus. God, I'm not going in there to try and manipulate the conversation, but could we be good at that? Why? Because we're building heavenly treasure. Another way we're building heavenly treasure, we talked about this three or four weeks ago, God's heart for the poor. Part of the giving is giving to the poor. Could we be investing in people who are hurting? Why? Because we look at the way God set up the Old Testament. He cares for the vulnerable. Could, could we be on watch for those kind of people? See, Jesus is, is challenging our value system. He's challenging our priorities. And he's saying, you need to rethink them in light of being in my kingdom. Just like the guy who went in the Marines, you're going to read, you're going to run, you're going to eat, you're going to do this, you're going to go there. And he was on the third wave of um, Desert Storm, the first one. He was just told, you're going, and you'll go here, and you'll go now. That's, that, yeah, he, he, yeah we're, we're saying to Jesus, you, you have right to shake these things up and, and reorder these things. And I think that's a real challenge. Um, Kids' activities are just out of control. It could be sports, it could be band, it could be the debate team, it could be dance, it could be, it, it doesn't matter. And as parents, we're trying to instill Jesus and we're doing, trying to build a relationship with our kids and where does that time play out and how do we do that? And I don't have answers, but I'm telling you, that ought to cause us conflict. How do I live these things out? comfort. You know, we love, we like nice restaurants, this, that, and the other. We're wrestling with this. Vacation, and this is not a ban on vacation. It's not a van, ban on going to a restaurant. I have a son who's a, a sophomore at the university. We get together once a week at a restaurant intentionally to process life. Once a week, my wife and I go out to eat just to, so I'm not saying never, but I'm saying we're wrestling with attention, our comfort, our thing. Why? Because we want to invest our time and money in eternity because Jesus is shaking up our values. And he continues that thought in verses 22 and 23. Here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. I think the eye is a metaphor. It's where we set our attention and affection. 
So then if your eye, your heart, your attention is clear, focused on things, your whole body will be full of light. D.A. Carson is a professor up at um, Trinity up in Deerfield, Illinois. He describes light as a maximum understanding of God's truth uh, reflected in our behavior. As we set our heart and our eyes on eternal treasure, our whole body is lit and it, it, uh, uh, it changes our behavior. It affects our whole being. On the other hand, though, verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be of darkness. This affects our whole being. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Where we're setting our affections, it affects our whole life. It affects our whole being. So here's the take home. Here's the thing. Jesus bringing it down. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Well, Andy, I want to do two. I, you know, I want to do the world and I want to do things. I, you can't. I can't. We're going to be frustrated if we do. Why? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve God in wealth. And I, that wealth is more than just money. It's, it's mammon. It's everything the world has to offer. You can't go after both. Money, popularity, prestige, comfort. You can't go after both. You can go after God. God can be your priority, or the other one can't. So, so we're wrestling with this, this question. How will submitting to Christ reorder our life? Here's the thing. Submitting to God will upend our priorities and values. You're coming into the kingdom. Yeah, I'm following Jesus. It's going to mess. He's going to mess with your values and priorities. He's going to mess with mine. You're serious about this? He's going to be, from now until the time you meet Jesus, he's going to be wrestling with you. Because we live in a world that says, live for this. And Jesus said, I've got something else. Now, I think we ought to live for God's values because God is our creator and he's shown us he's worthy. I, I think that's enough. But I, what I would argue with you is these are the values we really want. When we talk about investing in people in relationship, that's what matters, not what we wear, not what we drive, not where we live. You know where this comes clear to me? You know where it comes clear to me? When I officiate a funeral or memorial service. So I did one eight days ago. We talked about this man. Uh, you know what didn't come up? I, I don't know how many square feet he lived in. I mean, I did, I did that whole service. I have no idea what make and model of car he drove. I, I don't know what brand of clothes he was wearing. I'm being facetious to a point. It didn't matter. So there were, the flow of the service was I did my gig, I gave a little spiel, and then Daniel led some songs. And then there was one guy who read six or seven people just sharing about this man. One time, a vehicle was mentioned only in the fact that we drove in this old beater to go hunting together, and we had great experiences in this but they all talked about relationship, how this man affected their life, the connection they had with him. Isn't that what matters to us? Let me roll the clock ahead to your funeral, your memorial service. What do you want us to talk about? Do you want us to talk about what kind of cabinets and what kind of counters you had in your house? Is that what you want? Do you want us to talk about the brand of clothes you wore, the make and model of your car, your net worth, how much you finished with in your 401k? I don't think so. 
And yet we have a culture that tells us this is what matters. Yeah, Jesus is messing with our priorities. He's shaking them up. But I think that's where we really want to get. And he can get us where we want to go if we'll submit to him. Here's my question. Are you in? Will you let him? Will you let him change your values and priorities? So I came to faith when I was in college, freshman year, Texas A&M. For three and a half years, I lived in 293 Aston Hall. And a staff guy, staff camp said, you know, Andy, when you get done in 293 Aston Hall, they're going to move somebody else in. And, and that, you know, it's just going to move. So what of value, what are you going to leave that lasts at your time at Texas A&M? If it's just grades and a grade point, and that'll come and go. Will you just leave an empty dorm room? He kept asking me. You got a job right now? You drive a carpool. You're part of a neighborhood community. You're part of an HOA. You're, you're. Where are you going to leave? What's going to last? God is word and people are eternal. There's people in your sphere of influence. I'm not, don't go dump the God. I'm not asking, don't go dump the gospel. But would you take an initiative? Just ask questions. Pursue them. Why? That you might invest in eternity. That you might build eternal treasure. Treasure in heaven. That means you'll have to leave some stuff on the table here on earth. But that's going to be taken from you anyway. It's just a matter of time. If we want to model this, we can look to Jesus. He was as content as he could be from eternity past. Father, Son, and Spirit perfect fellowship. Beauty of heaven, why would you want to go to earth? The messed up creation. But he did. He left behind at least some of his powers temporarily as God. Lowered himself to take on human flesh. In a mockery of a trial, was convicted as a common criminal and hung on a cross. Why? What are you, what are you thinking here? Because he purchased your salvation and mine. And Philippians says there's one day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you use Jesus as a model to lay aside whatever it is that's holding you on earth that you might invest in eternity? You know, after I get done, we're going to sing a song which declares, I surrender all. Is that your heart this morning? If you're not there, okay. Okay. But would you make that a prayer? You know, throughout history, the church has sung variations of this song. And this is a unique variation. But the, the message is the same. I believe this message, Jesus. I believe Heavenly treasure is far greater than earthly treasure. I believe earthly treasure will fail me. It won't last. Heavenly treasure will 
Lord, would you empower me that I could surrender all? I mentioned in the past, I worked campus ministry, uh, campus crusade for a number of years, and we'd meet a variety of students. And when I was at the University of Northern Colorado, they had a, a, a bigger um, school of music, good reputation. So a lot of people came there to major in music. Here's what I found out with music majors. They're super busy. Because you take an hour and you've got to practice your instrument like five or eight, you know. And it's kind of like, can you come to our weekly meeting Wednesday night? No, I can't do that because I've got to practice all these hours. And it's not like they spring it on these guys or girls. I mean, they know on the front end. You're a music major. That's the gig. That's how it is. So I say, well, I, we've got this Christmas conference over Christmas break. Maybe you could do that. Uh, on top of that, they, they're part of ensembles that travel around the state and they're trying to recruit people. They, they go do gigs in high schools and they play and they talk about the greatness of the University of Northern Colorado music and why don't you come major in that. And here's the kicker to it all. If you're a, a, a music, now I'm not talking music yet, I'm talking music major. There's no jobs, by the way, when you get done. I mean, the Denver Symphony would have one chair, second chair violin, literally would have 500 applicants for that position. I mean, you're going to have to scramble to be a music major. So why would you do that? Because you love music. You know the story, but you do it anyway. So here's my question. If music majors are willing to do that for their love of music, how much more for the love of Jesus? And he promises there's a payoff. For these kids, there was no payoff at the end. For, for Jesus, there's a payoff. You get to build a treasure that will last to into eternity. You get to incorporate values that you really want in your life if you're honest. Yeah. We come to Jesus, you got to shake up our priorities. You submit to him, he'll mess with them. He'll reorder them. So the application, the question is, are we willing to do this? Are we willing to surrender everything that he might do his work and the work we really want him to do in our life? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we are challenged and called to question what Last, what matters, what doesn't? Lord, you've reminded us we would be wise to invest the years you've given us building into heavenly treasure. Would we be uh, those kind of people? Forgive us for getting caught up in that that will not last. Lord, would you work in our lives so that we are builders of heavenly treasure? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.